You know, the world right now is a really unsettled place. And for such a time as this, women play a most important role in history as peacemakers. The goal of Ladies of Liberty Sound Off is to affect the lives of women in an empowering way through discussion of important issues of the day. So, are you ready? The Ladies of Liberty are ready to sound off. Welcome to Ladies of Liberty Sound Off, and I am so excited today. We have a new host who will be joining us very regularly, and I just love her to pieces. Her name is Misha Woodruff Cooper, and she's known in some circles as Apostle Cooper. No, Apostle Misha. That's what it is, Apostle Misha. And, you know, we're going to talk about that and why that is, and welcome, Misha. Thank you so much. I am absolutely honored to be a part of your program. Thank you so much. Well, we're honored to have you. And, you know, you have such a very interesting uh, history in life that, you know, is, I mean, most people don't get to do all the things that you've done. And I, first of all, I admire you for taking on all the things that you've taken on. But I, I, I would love to have a discussion about, you know, where you've lived, because you've lived in all kinds of interesting places in the world and things that you've done and the reason that you've lived in all those places. So I'm going to let you take it for a few minutes and, and tell us where you've lived and, you know, what, why, and what you've done. And I'll say that you're back now um, on the mainland of the U S and you are uh, hailing from Virginia today, but by the way, I was just in Virginia and got to uh, see you in person, which was wonderful. Uh, it was what a beautiful area you live in currently. So, talk to me about where you lived. Where was the first place you lived and and visited out of America? Oh yeah, definitely fantastic. Yes, we met definitely here in this heart um, of America, actually birthplace of America. I am actually now in Williamsburg, Virginia. Um, birthplace, everything began, everything started. I like to say the rooted place um, of, of the United States. So it's very interesting to me that at this time in my life that um, as God would have it, he would allow me live, to be living here. Um, and I'm paying much more attention to why I'm here um, and what's going on, on on a spiritual level not just a physical level, but on a spiritual one. Um, my parents, actually my father and my mother um, lived in a town called Alta Vista, um, Lynch Station, Leesville area. Uh, it's very interesting. They're about five miles apart, seven miles apart of each other. And uh, that is about two and a half hours from, from Williamsburg. Um, but my father um, had a, a vision and a, and a want and he decided um, at a very young age that he wanted to leave the United States and live abroad. Um, he joined the army. He and my mother, my mother's name was Joyce. Um, and so I was born here in the United States, literally lived here just enough to get my inoculations. You know, you have to get those shots before you cross the, cross the pond. And then we lived abroad. Um, we lived in Germany, um, um, lived in London for a while. Um, and interestingly enough, we moved a lot because of the rank and the different things that were going on with my father. So I grew up, um, 
where most people would say, uh, Katie is my best friend from kindergarten or whatever. I grew up with the belief for a very long time that my sister was my best friend because we moved. We moved around um, with his rankings in the government. Um, and so my father, um, goodness, was 82nd Airborne. He was a ranger, um, counterintelligence, CID. Um, and my mom was a little country mouse from Leesville, Virginia, who really didn't like living abroad as much as she liked living closer to her family. She came from a big family. My dad came from a somewhat big family too. Um, so we lived abroad. Um, I know, kind of like I told you when I first met you, I didn't recognize and realize that I was a color until I came back to the United States. <laughs> well, well let, okay, so let's say that out loud. So yeah. you you are a woman of color. And, yes. um, and by the way, you are an extremely brilliant woman of color and uh, just just have a, a personality that, you know, shines through. And, and what I, what I get from you when I talk to you, Misha, is, is just kind of the, the, the beauty of your soul there. Um, I told you when I saw you, when I was in Williamsburg, I said, I love your brain. Um, it, it, it just <laughs> works in, in magical ways, but, but you have, um, you have a perspective that most people don't get in life because you've lived in different places. So where was the first place? Of course, when you left here, you were just a baby. So you uh, probably don't remember some of the places. Where's the first place that you remember living else other I, than America? I, I remember living in Germany. I, I remember it very vividly. Um, I, my daddy, um, I was my daddy's little princess. Um, I remember we had a German shepherd named Jojo. Um, I remember um, we just lived a very a beautiful life. It seemed to me just a beautiful life, you know, very peaceful. Um, there were expectations. I remember my mom, my mom is always, even today, she's absolutely gorgeous. She's beautiful. Um, but our life was a good life, you know, and it wasn't, it was a military life. Um, there were expectations. My dad expected me to keep my clothes clean. He expected me to keep my nails clean, make sure that I brushed my teeth. And, you know, he always told me that I could be anything that I wanted to be. If I wanted, to, if I worked hard, I could do that. So I don't, um, I don't know a time that I, I, I was told that I couldn't do if it was something that I really wanted to do and, uh, living abroad. And then living, then moving to Baltimore. And, you know, those people from Baltimore know if you've really lived in Baltimore, because you don't say Baltimore, you say Baltimore. <laughs> oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They know if you're a native or not, just by certain things. Um, my mother and father um, chose to divorce and we moved to Baltimore. And I remember Baltimore being very, very different than my life um, abroad. Um, I remember lots of sirens. I remember lots of anger. I remember lots of people running and lots of traffic. Um, I very vividly remember walking out on the, the stoop or the porch, as they called there, on London Avenue and watching a, a, a gang of guys um, take a baseball bat and beat a guy with it. And um, my my mother um, pulling us back into to the house and um and feeling fear and thinking, why, 
why did they do that to him? What, what's that? Why would they hit him? Why would they beat him until he starts to bleed and his head is bleeding on the sidewalk? And I was a little girl, you know, and I can remember feeling like I needed to protect my sister and I needed to protect my baby brother. Very, very young. Um, Me and and what, those feelings that you had there in that moment, you didn't yes. have those feelings in Germany. You felt safe in Germany. Felt safe. I felt, I, you know, and even, even to this day, even absolutely to this day, I still feel like a fish out of water in the United States to my formative years of living abroad. Wow. I feel, feel so much more welcomed when I'm abroad. Um, I love to be able to close my eyes and hear the different languages to smell the different foods, to see the different people. I love being able to see couples that are interracial couples, beautiful children, eating their dinner and embracing life. Um, and I've always had a, I don't know, a fear. Um, when I come back across here in the United States, I just don't feel like I've ever truly, truly fit here. I don't fit the the box that um, they have for me to fit into. I just don't fit it. Yeah. Did, did you feel where you lived in Germany, did you feel that people of color were treated differently than, than others? Um, I lived on the barrack, I guess, it was military barrack. And, you know, and living there with my mom, my dad, you know, my dad did two tours in Vietnam. Thank you, daddy. And thank you for everyone else. Um, my dad's a Purple Heart recipient, um, but military life, it's very different. You know, you become family, you know, people take care of one another. No one's going to suffer. No one's going to be without. And it's not at that point about color. It's more about rank or whatever, but you, nobody's going to suffer the way that they are sometimes allowed to suffer here just by being a neighbor. So no, I didn't, I didn't feel that fear until I came back here. Um, I can remember, I can remember a conversation with um, a, a, a black female in Lynchburg and she said this to me and I'll never forget it. She said, what are you? <laughs> I, I looked at her and I said, what, what am I? And she said, yeah, because you're not black. And I said, what? I said, yes, I am. She said, no, you're not. You know, your, your, your hair is different, your skin's different and you're, and I just thought, wow, what is that all about? And so I would have to have dialogue and questions with my mom or with my grandmom. And I just kind of went on a quest to find out what exactly, why, what, what is this all about? What, what is this whole thing about your hair style, your hair um, texture, your color of your skin, if you're light, if you're dark, um, if your mom's light or dark, all these different things, where is this all coming from? And so in finding out all of that, I understood very well that there is a lot of issues within inner issues within people with regards to their origin, with regards to their culture, with regards to their color, with regards to um, if they come from a, a good family, a bad family, a rich family, a poor family. And um, some people are stuck. That's all I can say to that. It, and I prayed for the day that they recognize that it's not about color, 
but it's about character. It's not about um, the fancy cards. Um, it's about people truly loving one another and understanding that uh, we all have something to contribute and we are more alike than we are different. That's in a so lot of true. That is so true. I have to tell you that um, before this show, Ladies of Liberty, uh, I worked uh, and, and was a host on another show. And in that show, there were 10 women and they were from around the world and they were all different uh, political persuasions, all different kinds of jobs. Um, some married, some not married. We had uh, LGBTQ represented. We, we had really uh, a very mixed group. And there were, if you want to just talk politics, there were seven liberals, three conservatives. Myself being conservative, I thought, wow, I'm in trouble. Um, yeah, I'm going to be arguing a lot you know what? We never had an argument because that's what I learned is that we are more alike than different. You know, all of these people, let's just take today as we're, we're talking, Misha, we have people that are uh, out protesting at Catholic churches and we have people writing on walls of churches and people going crazy about their misinterpretation of Roe v. Wade and and uh, how they feel that their rights are being taken away, but nobody's taking their rights away. So it, 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 to me, it's a moot argument there. Either way, um, I, those same people who I absolutely disagree with in everything that they're doing, I still believe that I have more in common than not because we all want good things for our families. We all want good things for our children. We all want um, people who care about us in life. We, we all want to make enough money. Well, not all of us, but many of us want to make enough money to be able to, you know, live so that we're not hungry and, and those types of things. So I, I, I do believe exactly what you said there. And I think it's really, really important. And I think that we are totally forgetting that in this country. Um, you can comment on that, but I, I do, I want to go on to, to the next places you move because the places that you live are very, have lived are very uh, varied one from the other. And, oh, yeah. and, and I definitely want to hear about your experiences there. Oh yeah, definitely. You know, I, I, yes, we, we definitely do have more, we are more alike than we are different. Um, you know, and, and that, that can go all the way back to Judas's mother and Jesus's mother. Um, we're more alike than we are different. Um, there were two mothers. Um, my father, uh, because of his um, rank and different things we moved, there were different places that we went into in the United States that um, I, I can remember even as a little girl, my dad struggling and going through things in the military down in certain states, United States, Mississippi, or Mississippi as they call. Um, and there's a lot of things that I feel like my mom and my dad went out of their way to shelter us from. Um, even in the area that my, my, my mother and my, my papa and my grandmother grew up in, you know, there was racism there. There was KKK. People don't like to talk about them, but, you know, you know, but they were there. Um, and I just really feel this deep down in my soul. I really feel that when everybody insists on being right, then that leaves no room for 
relations. When we put, when we all put down our right to be right and we pick up something that says, let's be relational, then we can start to have a dialogue that counts. Um, it's nothing, nothing worse than two people talking at the same time, yelling at each other, screaming at each other, temperatures rising, diabetes, everything going awry, heart palpitations, everything. And at the end of the day, we're really saying sometimes the same thing, but we're saying it in a different, a different nomenclature. We're using a different language. Um, I just left a breakfast today with a couple that I met on yesterday and and we were having a conversation about when I was in high school at Alta Vista School, um, I had a really bad crush on a guy and I think he had a crush on me too. And um, his first name was David, David Caucasian, me, little girl of color. And we really liked each other, but we lived in a town that it was just not acceptable absolutely not acceptable to the point to where we had people who were very, very um, powerful in our influential in our lives and our decisions to let us know that it wasn't going to happen. We were not going to go together. We were not going to date. We were definitely not going to marry. We were not going to have a life together. And I can remember being crushed because I really liked David and I believe David really liked me, but society and everything around us was telling us absolutely not. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine knowing in your heart? And I've, I've, I've met other couples who said, we met in, in elementary school. We knew when we were five years old, we were gonna be married. Well, imagine knowing that you're to be with someone and they're from a different culture or a different color than you. And you have the whole town telling you it's not gonna happen. So you then, end up with people that you don't really want to be with, but you kind of feel like you're forced to be with. Um, and then circle around years later and you find out, wow, yeah, that really was my true love. You know, love doesn't well, have, have you a ever looked him up, Misha? I've looked him up. He, you know, and, and I don't know if he even follows me or whatever, but you know, the interesting thing was, um, I had a conversation with his mother, um, beautiful woman. Um, I always admired her. And I had a conversation with her years later where she said to me that she knew that I loved her son. And she also knew that her son um, cared for me. Um, but it was just not okay within that time. Um, well, there, there's still time in life. <laughs> there's still time in life for a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, I'm so busy on planes now, ready to go on mission fields and going and teaching and, and trying to empower women and trying my best to, to reach women of different backgrounds and get them to see that, listen, it's not about the texture of your hair, sweetheart. It's not about the color of your skin. It's not about the size of your hips. It's not about if you have a big derriere or uh, it's not, none of that has anything to do with your purposed path. You are here not on accident. You are here on purpose. And we all have something to contribute. We all do. Um, and if we would just sit down and press past what we believe to be our differences, we will truly find out that we are more alike than we are different. We really will.
Well, um, it's about you know, the conversation, I, right? It's, it's about, about the conversation. Yeah. And sometimes people aren't real. You know what? People are not willing to have those hard conversations. Those Because no one wants to be confrontational. You know, no one wants to be. Well, sometimes we need to be confrontational. You can be confrontational and still be loving and kind. But confront something that has crippled people for generations. Confront it. And then conquer it so that then we can move up and on in life and not be hindered by something that we think we know versus facts. You wouldn't go a day without brushing your teeth or washing your hands. What about washing your nose? I mean, your nose does filter the air you breathe, air loaded with bacteria, viruses, and irritants. Make nasal hygiene part of your routine with Clear. No messy bottles to fill, no drowning sensation. Clear is a natural drug-free saline with the added benefit of xylitol, which blocks bacterial and viral adhesion. Available in stores and online at clear.com. That is X-L-E-A-R.com. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep can be infuriating. Your mind races. You toss and turn, and the harder you try, the harder it is to drift off. And today's digital age makes it even harder. You're not alone with this struggle. Poor sleep affects over 70% of Americans. Even the Centers for Disease Control label insufficient sleep a public health epidemic. To take back your sleep, Healthy Cell has created REM Sleep, the only sleep supplement made to support all four stages of human sleep with calming herbs, amino acids, and sleep hormone support delivered in a patent-pending, pill-free, ultra-absorption microgel formula that tastes great. Fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deeply, and wake up refreshed with Healthy Cell's REM sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Don't miss an episode of the Ladies of Liberty Sound Off. Subscribe to the podcast. And for the latest news and inspiration, join us back at AmericaOutloud.com. Welcome back to Ladies of Liberty Sound Off. And I am here with Apostle Misha, and we are talking about, you know, her background in life in different areas of the world. I, I just find it really fascinating. Somebody who has lived in different countries, different cultures, and, and not just one, but a number of them. And, and we didn't mention before, Misha, that, that you do a lot of missionary work. And I want to get into to that conversation because for there, you've, you've really lived in some interesting places. But I want to go back to what we were saying about conversation, about people listening. There was a point in time when I became a, um, a life coach. So in, in, in doing that and taking those very intensive classes to being able to life coach people through their issues. And I love the program that I was in because I don't tell people how to live. I don't tell them what to do and how to fix their problems. I only help them to understand that they already know the answer and that they need to, uh, to make that answer work. So people get confused sometimes within themselves. They have a lot of things that, that get muddled, but but a true coach will take them through sorting out those things and what direction do you really want to go in? And what I learned in, in that 
class was about listening. And when you listen to people that there were three different levels of listening. So you can listen to somebody that, you know, you just, you're, you're kind of, you know, you're, you're writing notes or you're looking at your phone or you're doing whatever else you're doing. And you're kind of halfway listening to somebody. You can listen to somebody and you can hear what they're saying. You can really hear what they're saying because you are focused on that person and you can hear what they're saying. But the third level of listening is when you not only hear what they're saying, but you can empathize with what they're saying. And, and you, you truly understand and you feel what they're saying. So if I am telling you, Misha, that, um, I don't know, that my dog is sick, you, you don't just hear me, but you feel really sad for what I'm feeling. So that's the third level of listening. We need to at least be in level two of listening, which is I really hear what you're saying whether you empathize with it or not, that would be great. But, but we don't listen anymore and we don't get the, the tones of voice of people and the inflections because we're doing this on cell phones and, you know, all kinds of social media. We don't know the tone. And I find as a business owner, sometimes I'm very quick with what I do in my business. And, and I don't waste words. I don't have time to waste words. So sometimes I can come off as being short with people. And I in no way mean that or intend that. But when you read it, it comes out differently depending on how the person in their mind interprets the inflection that you might have used. So that's so, that's so, so true. That's so good. Yeah. So, so you have to, you, you, this is about listening to one another and, you know, you are a woman of color. I am a Caucasian woman. Yeah. You and I have a bond that, you know, it's, it's just, it's organic. It's just, it has nothing to do with your color or my color. It has to do with, with where our values are in life. And it has to do with I'm really interested in you and what you're doing. And I feel the same from you. Th this is so simple. It's not brain surgery. So simple to get people together. But I look at these women right now I and men that are out with these protests and their eyes are crazy and their, their mannerisms are crazy. And they're so afraid that something is getting taken away from them, not to mention that, that they want the right to murder a child, which I, you know, I probably shouldn't get into that whole conversation, but I, I just can't even imagine. I just can't even imagine protesting because I can't murder my child. I, you know, that that's beyond my way of thinking. I, I just don't understand where, where people are. And the last thing that I want to say goes back to color in this country. Um, we people like me are considered racist because I'm white. I'm, so mm -hmm. I'm automatically racist. It's built into me that I'm racist. I'm mm -hmm. not racist. I am not racist. And, and I resent being called racist and I, but I will not stand up and vehemently deny it because I don't feel like I need to. I live 
as a not racist person. I live that way. That being said, I told you when we talked the other day that uh, I was in San Antonio, Texas, and I, it was late at night and I was walking down the street and my husband and I took a wrong turn on the street. And we came to a street where there were lots of people of color, young men, particularly who looked pretty shady and, mm-hmm. and worrisome to me. And here's this, you know, older white couple walking down the street. I was afraid. I don't want to be afraid. I, d- I don't want that to, to be the case. I don't, this race war in America is manufactured for purposes of politics. It, it, I don't think it's real. I want to know if you do. All right. So let me ask you this. So when you felt that fear and who am I to try to, with the credentials that you have, but here I go. <laughs> when you saw that group of, of um, young men, were you more afraid because they were black or you, were you more afraid because you all were a white couple in the wrong area of town? Wow. That's an interesting question. I was afraid. I was more afraid because they are black. They were black. And that's the honest answer. I was more afraid because they were black and because there was groups of them and there was just two of us there. And, and what they did as we started to walk by is, is they, uh-huh. they, they came start one broke off and started to come behind us. So I, and I was afraid because I'm not the young woman I once was, and, and I don't have the means right. to, to fight, right. to protect myself. Um, right. that, so those are the reasons that, that's, I wanted to just kind of tap into that and thank you for your honest answer with that. Um, because I, I know this, I know that if I were in that very same town and I ended up uh, on a street or wherever that I didn't know, um, I would have been afraid too. But I would not have been afraid because it was a group of black males or black females or whatever. I would have been afraid simply because it's an area that I don't know. I don't know how yet um, to to, to explain my, my feeling of, oh, this is not, this is not a place that I belong. Um, and, and it has nothing to do with the color and it has nothing to do with, with the sex or the age of the, of the groups. Now it's always going to be places. I can tell you, I was driving from Lynchburg, Virginia to Topeka, Kansas to drop my children off one summer to stay with my dad over the summer while I came back and worked double shifts because I wanted the kids to have the best school clothes to start school with. And I pulled into a town in West Virginia. <laughs> and Miss Linda, when I pulled into this town, I was driving, I was driving a Jeep Cherokee Jeep with the top back. I had on some little um, Daisy Duke shorts. I had a little, <laughs> little cut off top. Oh my goodness. I was working out and I had go-go music. I don't know if you know go-go, but go-go's DC music. And I had it just blasting to get gas. Well, when I pulled into the town, I really wasn't paying attention about the town or whatever, but Miss Linda, the town was a sundown town. It was a town where people of color were not welcomed. And those towns still do exist here in the United States. And I didn't know that. All of a sudden, I turned my music down. I went to give gas. Everybody, the people came out and stood out on the porch. And I was like, okay, I'm afraid. I got gas. 
I walked in. I paid for the gas. I went. I got back in my Jeep. Now, I told you I had the top down and I'm driving and I had to drive probably 10 or 15 miles to get out of this town. I was as nervous as nervous can be. And you know, as well as I know that we have those instincts called fight or flight. I was shaking. I got out. I got back onto the highway. And when I got to the place where my dad was, I said, Daddy, I don't I don't quite know where this town was, but I was afraid. And then I did a little history check and it was a sundown town. I wasn't welcome in the entire town. And I didn't know anything about that. I didn't understand. I just needed to get gas. But we have those places still exist here in the United States. And a lot of times people don't want to talk about those places. They don't want to admit that those places exist. Your world's traveled. I'm world's traveled. You were because of your choices with regards to um, your career and everything. You had to be confrontational with regards to diverse issues. Um, you know, the assumption is that every person of color eats watermelon or eats chicken, um, or the, the assumption that um, every, every Caucasian person cooks and they don't use seasonings. All of these different things that, you know, sometimes you sit down and you're like, wow, you know, I, I got some stuff inside of me that needs to be addressed because I am assuming something that may not be there. You know, and but we have to have those conversations. But then the other thing is, at the end of the day, I promise you, we are more alike than we are different. When I went to work for the Gaither Ministry in Alexandria, Indiana, I shared this with you and your husband in Alexandria, Indiana, in 1999, I was living in Anderson, Indiana. My then husband was working at a, a dairy that there were no, uh, there had never been a, a black engineer and he was working there as an engineer. I was working in Alexandria with the Gaither Ministry at Gaither Family Resource Center. I decided one day to go for a drive and I'm driving a T-top black uh, 300ZX and I'm driving through the town and Alexandria, cool, cute little town. I love Alexandria, love the people there. Um, and I drove, I turned left and I went into a town called Elwood, only 10 miles away. And when I went into that town called Elwood to drive, a, po a police officer got behind me. And I was like, well, I know I'm not speeding because I was just being nosy. I wanted to see where I was. What's 10 miles this way? What's 10 miles that way? If I go down this road, what happens? Whatever. I pulled over my car. The police officer got out of his car and came to my car and I said, am I speeding? Did I do something wrong? Um, you know, is there a problem with me being here? On and on. He looks at me. He said, who are you? I see you've got Virginia Tech. And I said, well, I just came to work. I'm working with the Gaither ministry and I, you know, I'm just out driving. I wanted to see what Elwood was, Muncie was, um, different places, little towns. And he looked at me. And he said, well, it might not be good for you to be up here after dark. This was 1999. I started shaking again. My first response to him was, I feel like I'm in a movie. That's all I knew to say. I felt like it was something that I had sat down in front of a TV and watched. And I remember turning the car around and going back. I remember the first thing I did was call my dad and say, Daddy, could you do me a favor? Could you tell me? about Elwood, Indiana. I went into Mr. Gaither's office 
and I talked to him and he and Mr. Mrs. Gaither, and they can confirm this if they remember it. I asked them what that was about. And while we were sitting there talking, do you know that that police officer walked into the office and said, oh, well, she really does. She really does work here. 1999. It wasn't something that I was sitting on the TV watching in a movie. And I just, you know, and I had to, I had to press past so much of all of what family members and everyone else had ever gone through here in the United States to get to a place to where I am today, where when I hear people like Miss Gloria and Bonnie Cox and different ones who were my mentors, all women of Euro, Caucasian sisters, saying to me, Misha, you're a change agent. Misha, you're a bridge. Misha, you're a change agent. And I was like, well, I don't want to be a change agent. I don't want to be a bridge. It's painful. It hurts because on one side, they're, they're asking you what you are. And on the other side, they're telling you who you are. And you're there in the middle loving everybody and caring for and wanting everybody to be okay because you recognize and realize that we need one another. And it doesn't matter. The, the things that are non-essential are the things that we're fussing and we're arguing over. And then the things that really matter, like blood, like life, um, we're willing to risk for the right to be right rather than to be relational. There are pockets of people that don't want to talk about racism, colorization. They don't want to talk about slavery. They don't want to talk about slave masters. Now, Miss Linda, I'm living where slavery started. I'm living where they still have the titles and the tags, plantations on the, the resorts. And imagine that. Imagine my God placing me here and allowing me to be here. And imagine me saying, I called my mom. I said, Mama, I said, God has a sense of humor. Now, you know, I said, Lord, send me anywhere. Lord, yes, I want to be your missionary for the world, to the nations, God. I want to go. I want to go. I want to represent you. I want to love like you, speak like you, talk like you. I want to be a messenger for you. And I always thought that I would be overseas, El Salvador, Trinidad and Tobago, Africa, 54 countries, one continent, Africa. But I am in Williamsburg, Virginia. And I am still now meeting people who are direct descendants of two things. One, a slave master, and two, a slave. And some of them still have in their minds the mind of that. But we, Miss Linda, are liberated women. We're ladies of liberty. Liberty meaning freedom. Liberty meaning having the understanding that we can go beyond color and what socio says should be and recognize that we need to be relational. But a lot of people aren't willing to do that. And that, and so when I see, I don't watch a lot of TV in the first place because I just, I, I'm really, I don't like TV. I believe TV is the only thing that's, that's given permission to be in your home and, and just share all kinds of crazy information with you and have you thinking all kinds of crazy things. And um, I think if people watch TV less, 
and and stayed more off of cell phones and and wrote more books and got out and walked throughout their communities and became relational with their neighbors as they did um, in times past than a lot of things that we are watching and hearing, we would not be so um, easily influenced by. But for me, being in Williamsburg, I said, okay, Father, I'm here. Um, what am I to learn and what am I to teach? Because every day that's what we're doing. We're either, we're either being taught or we're teaching someone every day. Now the spirit of American liberty and justice is woven into the soul of America out loud. Now we invite you friends to invest some of your time with our magnificent family of experts, their minds and voices. It's all back at AmericaOutloud.com. Liberty and justice for all. In today's world, there's no escaping the headlines filled with warnings about emerging viruses and dangerous superbugs. Genesis is the only technology that safely and effectively obliterates harmful pathogens both in the air and on surfaces. Genesis plus HOCL neutralize these threats to your environment in just seconds. Find out more about this amazing technology at genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud for a 15% discount. With Genesis, you'll be prepared for what's next. You've been in that situation. The person next to you is sniffling or worse yet, <coughs> coughing. Flu, cold, and coronaviruses are everywhere. Wouldn't it be great if you had a way to reduce these threats with an invisible mask as an additional layer of protection? Sold by hundreds of pharmacists and medical doctors, our American-made povidone iodine antiviral nasal spray, Cofix RX, lasts for hours deactivating viruses and germs while protecting you from airborne pathogens that make us sick. America Out Loud listeners get 20% off. Use Cofix RX while in large groups, while traveling, or for any other type of high-risk situation as an additional layer of protection to help reduce your likelihood of catching a cold, the flu, or SARS-CoV-2 viruses. Right now, America Out Loud listeners get 20% off of all orders. Click our banner ad on AmericaOutloud.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Thanks for listening. You can tune in to Ladies of Liberty Sound Off weekdays at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at AmericaOutloud.com. Welcome back to Ladies of Liberty. Misha, I kind of stopped you there for a second. And, and you know, I, I that's what I love about you is, is your willingness to talk to everybody. And, and I want to go back to something that you said there about uh, Williamsburg, because having just been there with my husband, I loved it there. I want to go back. I, I loved the history and, and how well presented it is there in Williamsburg. Colonial Williamsburg is a wonderful place to go. But you talked about people that still have kind of that mentality, right, about uh, slavery and that they came from slaves. And and here's my thought, and I want you to, you, you can get all up in my face about it if you'd like, but here's my thought. <laughs> I wasn't there. I didn't do any of this. And nor did the American people bring slaves here. There was no American people. They were British people at that time um, mm -hmm. and some from Spain. But mm -hmm. all of the people that are alive today, they weren't slaves. They, they, they 
we're, right. we're past that. And, and people need to move on. I don't need to pay people reparations. I didn't do anything. I've never enslaved anybody in my life. And by the way, mm-hmm. white people were also slaves, especially mm-hmm. when, when uh, Williamsburg, or not Williamsburg, but Jamestown was first formed. Um, white people were also indentured servants. So, you know, I, I don't, I'm not going to uh, make small of the fact that slavery existed. It did. And it was horrible. And nobody has the right to, to own anybody else. Nobody. Mm-hmm. But that part of our history is gone. And by the way, it still exists in other parts of the world, for sure. Indeed, so- it does. Indeed, absolutely, it does. So we and need as, to, to move past it as a country. I, you know what? But see, you can't move past something that you refuse to forgive. You can't move, move past something that you refuse to acknowledge and ask for forgiveness for. Now, going well, wait, back wait, to what wait, you Misha, said. Who should on. ask for forgiveness? Me? Hold, hold I wasn't on. there. No. I, know, I know you're exactly right. You were not there, Linda. Neither was I. Neither was I. I tell everybody all the time. I said, you know what? If I was there, um, <laughs> you know, they probably would have would have took me out because I would have been talking so much. I've been talking to everybody and saying, listen, you know, this is crazy right here. I can't believe we're going through this. We're dealing with this or whatever the case may be. You were not there, Miss Linda. And you were not there. I was not there. But here's the thing. The benefits. There is there are benefits that you as a Euro Caucasian, paler skin, lighter hue sister, my sister, reap that I don't reap as a woman of color until they find out about my character. There are assumptions that are made simply because of my color. There are assumptions that are made simply because, you know, I wear my hair in locks. You know, I, I don't have my hair, um, um, as I used to say back in the day, fried, dyed, and laid to the side. Um, but there are assumptions. That's why we need to get to know each other. I have someone who I, um, I, I deal with on a daily basis, and they say this, if it's not about the money, it's about the money. Slavery was never about the people of color coming as much as it was about wanting to build wealth, build a country. And when people finally understand that it was more about treating, yes, people like they were animals, including Euros and our Native Americans. See, there's there's more boxes than just a black box and a white box. We have these conversations, we have these dialogues, but we we completely, you know, oust our Native Americans and 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 which is a part of our heritage as well. You know, we oust our Asian Pacific. We we forget that, you know, it's not just us in America, blacks and whites. There are so many other people who are contributing to this country. And there are so many people who have done things that are positive. But you're exactly right. Listen, my grandmother was was mixed. My son's grandparents, grandfather was white. You know, so this is my thing. How can I hate who I am? How can I have such a disdain for what I am? It's in my bloodline. It's my people. And at the end of the day, the truth of the matter is, 
We cannot survive without one another. If we were able to, then we would not be here trying to. But we all have to at some point and say, slavery was a travesty. It was horrible. It was a horrible thing to do, just like the Holocaust was, just like what they did to the Native Americans, just like what's happening right now in Ukraine and Russia. I mean, if we, if we have a conscience, if we have a heart, if we have anything that has to do with humanitarian for anybody else, my goodness, something about all of that should bother you but not to the place to where we should walk in such a defense and say, you know, well, I don't have anything to do with that. No, we all have something to do with it because if we're not a part of the solution, then we are a part of the problem. It has people are looking inwards instead of outwards. And, and that would be such a help. You know, I, I always feel life is so short and I, I feel that I get every day one time, and I get every day to make that the best day of my life. And if I am living in the past, if I'm living in hatred, if I'm living in uh, uh, regretting something that somebody else did in their, their life, you know, back in slavery, and, and thinking that I'm owed something from somebody, I will never be happy in that moment in my life. And I am determined never. that I'm going to be happy Every day of my life, I get that one day. And it's sad to me that people are locked up with, with this whole race conversation. And, and this wasn't the direction that I thought we'd go in this, mm -hmm. in this, this show today. But that's what I love about Ladies of Liberty, because this is an important conversation between a woman of color and a white woman who have had very different lives, but who are friends, who who respect one another, who, who choose to live in the joy of life every day and to do what we can do for others and ourselves without, without that, that heavy burden. Oh yeah. But, but, without the chips, without the chips on your shoulders. Yes. I can remember, I can remember I had a girlfriend and this girlfriend of mine, she was a Lynchburg. I can't, I think her name was Kim. Kim just loved to date black dudes, boy. She loved to date black dudes. We were in Lynchburg and we would go, this was long before I was a pastor minister. And we'd go in clubs. And one time we decided we were going to go into this club and this club did not welcome people of color. And she wanted me to go. And I said, I'm not going in there. And she said, I said, uh, uh, I said, I'm not going in there and sit down nowhere. And she said, why? And I said, because I said, you are cool in our club. But if I go in there, it's going to be a problem. She said, yeah, but you're with me. And I said, girl, you can't save me from all of them people in there who don't like me because of my color. And so we wouldn't go. But see, she wasn't even thinking about that. She wasn't even thinking about the fact that she could come in our club and everybody was like, "Woo, go Kim. Because Kim could dance. She taught aerobics, everything. It was just a different way as we live with that. But here, here's the beauty of you, Miss Linda, and myself. I have lived an absolutely amazing life. I have family members that are farmers. I have family members that are that cut pulpwood for a living. And I have family members that are millionaires, probably billionaires at this point. And they're all within my reach and family. And they're people of color. 
that own land, that own homes, that own businesses, that make governmental decisions, all these different things. And so for me, because I have not been willing to stay in a land of unforgiveness, because unforgiveness blinds you, it cripples you, and it constrains you. When you decide that you no longer are going to be limited by unforgiveness, your love language is going to be the language that you live in. You're going to choose to love. You're going to just choose to love somebody who has decided to hate you. I'm telling you the borders of your life open up and the world begins to be so open to you and you can go and do and be. I can write books. I can sing. I can do what I choose to do because I have chosen not to be constrained with unforgiveness, hatred in my heart and grudges. I just had this conversation with a friend of mine. I said, listen, I do not walk in grudges. I will not hold a grudge. I have chosen to release that, to forgive that, because I don't want to limit my life in walking around. I'm convinced that cancer, I'm convinced that much of the body's sicknesses and pains are because of people who refuse to forgive, but also for people who refuse to find it in their heart to ask for forgiveness. Misha, we only have a few minutes left. I, you, you bring up a question for me. With, with your outlook on life and, and your refusal to be limited in what you can do, what would you say to the, the young men and women of color today? And I'm specifically thinking mm-hmm. of, of in the urban areas, people that, you know, ha- have have not had the benefit. Let's, let's look at St. Louis and Chicago. Those are two great areas to look at where in Chicago, there are so many people of color, murdering people of color more than anywhere else. St. Louis, the same thing. Um, These are people that were brought up by seriously dysfunctional families and it doesn't Mm -hmm. matter what color they are. It could be anybody, but it happened. Those two areas happen to be uh, a very uh, black areas, right? And they, they Mm -hmm. have a lot of problems. And, and through no fault of their own, these, these kids, as they're brought up, had very dysfunctional families. Maybe the dads left. Now, you had the benefit of having your father there and, and giving you that, that fatherly discipline. Um, <laughs> I, I firmly believe that mothers and fathers both are important to children. So to, to the youth today, these, these angry people of all colors, but I'm yep. talking particularly uh, people of color right now that are shooting people that are, are looting. What, what do you say to them right now? I came from a very dysfunctional family. My mother, my father married as teenagers. Um, my father and my mother decided while we were living abroad to divorce, my mother remarried. We lived um, from one lifestyle to another lifestyle. We went from living where we, we did not have to be afraid if we were going to have food to living in a place where we were on food stamps and we had the butt of the cheese. Uh, we stood in the cheese lines. Um, we got our clothes sometimes from the Goodwill. Went through all of that, all of that. Um, but 
the, the rootedness of my family has been that we can get through and we can grow through. And we do not use those things as excuses. Um, it's not about the color. It's not, listen, there are just as many in Puerto Rico, in the Jamaican, in the Bronx, in the Hispanic, in the Caucasian or whatever. When I worked as a prison chaplain, my ministry was not just to the black kids that were incarcerated. It was to all of the kids that were incarcerated. And there are many. It's not the color. It's the character. But more than anything, I truly feel that what has happened here in the United States, more than anything, is they are desensitizing and they are tearing away. They're pulling children away from their families. Um, they're pulling people. They're pulling the husbands out of the homes. Um, when you have a system that is set up to where the mother can have every help that she needs as long as the father of the children is not living in the home. When you have systems where the children um, are the adults and speak to the adults, as it's, it's just a mess. But a lot of it, more than anything, is goes back to character. It goes back to your character. Well, ladies, that's a wrap. One more step for womankind.